So the reading is taken from uh, Numbers 11, uh, and it's 4 to 23 and verse 31, and it can be found on page 147 um, in your Bible in the pew. It's quail from the Lord is the heading. The rabble with them began to crave other food. And again, the Israelites started wailing and said, if only we had meat to eat. We remember the fish we ate in Egypt at no cost, also the cucumbers, melons, leeks, onions, and garlic. But now we have lost our appetite. We never see anything but this manna. The manna was like coriander seed and looked like resin. The people went around gathering it and then ground it in a hand mill or crushed it in a mortar. They cooked it in a pot or made it into loaves and it tasted like something made with olive oil. When the Jews settled on the camp at night, the manna also came down. Moses heard the people of every family wailing at the entrance to their tents. The Lord became exceedingly angry and Moses was troubled. He asked the Lord, why have you brought this trouble on your servant? What have I done to displease you that you put the burden of all these people on me? Did I conceive all these people? Did I give them birth? Why do you tell me to carry them in my arms as a nurse carries an infant to the land you promised on oath to their ancestors? Where can I get meat for all these people? They keep wailing to me, give, give us meat to eat. I cannot carry all these people by myself. The burden is too heavy for me. If this is how you are going to treat me, please go ahead and kill me right now if, you have, if I have found favor in your eyes and do not let me face my own ruin. The Lord said to Moses, Bring me 70 of Israel's elders who are known to you as leaders and officials among the people. Make them come to the tent of meeting that they may stand there with you. I will come down and speak with you there and I will take some of the power of the spirit that is on you and put it on them. They will share the burden of the people with you so that you will not have to carry it alone. Tell the people, consecrate yourselves in preparation for tomorrow when you will eat meat. The Lord heard you when you wailed. If only we, if, when you wailed, if only we had meat, meat to eat, we were better off in Egypt. Now the Lord will give you meat and you will eat it. You will not eat it for just one day or two days or five, ten or twenty days but for a whole month until it comes out of your nostrils and you loathe it because you have rejected the Lord who is among you and have wailed before him saying, why did we ever leave Egypt? But Moses said, here I am among 600,000 men on foot and you say, I will give them meat to eat for a whole month. Would they have enough if flocks and herds were slaughtered for them? Would they have enough if all the fish in the sea were caught for them? The Lord answered Moses, Is the Lord's arm too short? Now, will you, see, now you will see whether or not what I say will come true for you.
Now a wind went out from the Lord and drove quail in from the sea. It scattered them up to two cubics deep all around the camp as far as a day's walk in any direction. This is the word of the Lord. So good morning, everyone. Uh, lovely to be here with you this morning. Uh, and I don't just say that I've spent, you're going to say, I'm going to sound like one of the Israelites' money now about blessings. I spent a month in Kerry. Uh, we did manage to get that lovely weather, so it was absolutely beautiful. Um, but I also did manage to meet regularly with, I think it was about, I think I, I made, I think it was 10 people in the little Church of Ireland church in, in Camp and Kerry, which was lovely. But it is a pleasure to be back uh, with you this morning. Um, and isn't it good to meet in God's house and uh, to meet with God's people? We had the pleasure of uh, sitting for uh, a while before the service in prayer. And if you haven't had the chance to do that, I encourage you to do that uh, in the Sundays to come. And it's just lovely to come together and still our hearts before God and come into God's presence uh, and to really enjoy his blessing. So it's really lovely uh, to be with you here this morning. And this passage in, in Numbers 11, there's lots of different angles that we could take on this. It, it, it deals a lot with leadership. Um, we could focus on the grumbling uh, Israelites, and I will make some reference to that. But what I want to do this morning, briefly, as the waft of burgers comes through the door, I was reminded of the Cookstown sizzle. Um, there'll be some of us old enough to remember that, that um, ad on the TV. Um, but I'd like to share with you this morning two reflections uh, that as I read through this chapter myself, um, I felt God really laid on my heart and challenged me with, uh, and I wanted to share that, uh, those two reflections with you this morning. Um, the first of those, let me just headline them for you. Uh, the first point relates to how we engage with God, how we connect with him, how we speak to him, how we really open up our hearts to him. As I was reflecting on this particular point, I was reminded of that phrase in Psalm 42 verse 7, deep calls to deep. Uh, a writer said, described it this way, the deep of man's need calls unto the deep of God's fullness. But I think it's the case that particularly when we are struggling, under pressure, rushed, anxious, fearful, when we most need to engage with God, I think very often we struggle to do so. So I want to talk a little bit about that way in which we approach God and speak to God and connect with him. Second uh, point I want to reflect on is uh, captured in verse 23, and it's the, the title I put on the talk, is the Lord's arm too short? As Trevor was uh, chatting, uh, giving us all the announcements that reinforced the fact that August, September is the real start of the, the, the year, isn't it? It's the real new year as we uh, begin to turn into things. And, and hopefully, like myself, 
many of you have had the opportunity uh, to be away and have a break and be refreshed. But I wonder as you return from holiday and as your mind turned back to the reality of day-to-day life, I wonder was there anything that came into your mind you, it just made your heart sink a little? You know that sense you've been walking along the beach in Kerry for a couple of weeks, but you come back and you go, oh yeah, there's that and I have to think about. And it might be a situation or a circumstance or a relationship, but it just brings back that little sense of anxiety and worry and so on. Now let me ask you a a blunt question this morning. If there's something in your mind already of If what I've just said has prompted you to recall or think about a situation or a setting or a circumstance that you're finding particularly challenging, do you think God can make a difference? In fact, I wonder, is God even part of your thinking process? Or is the challenge that's in your mind right now just something a little bit too real world for your faith and your spiritual world to enter into it and to have relevance and to affect it. So those are two points I want to briefly uh, look at um, in a moment. But before we do that, let's just briefly recap uh, the story that was read to us. So in verses 4 to 10 here in in Numbers chapter 11, we, we read that there's growing unrest in the camp. Prompted by the rabble, and it's just an interesting aside, that this is the only place in the entirety of the Old Testament that that word is used. Uh, And how this group are distinguished is that, certainly the commentators would suggest to us that this is a group who are possibly not Israelites, they've kind of tagged along uh, with Israel for this journey for whatever reason. But their grumbling, their dissatisfaction begins to spread rapidly throughout the camp. And perhaps there's a little reflection there already for us about the company that we keep. Uh, And when people are complaining and people are moaning, do do we sit with it and listen to it and allow it to infect our own minds? But the presenting issue here is one about uh, manna. So this is God's miraculous provision. We look in Exodus chapter 16 and we read about how God has provided manna uh, as food for the Israelites to eat. And it appeared each morning like a frost, uh, very similar to a coriander seed. I googled it, just have a look. I'm I'm not familiar with coriander seeds, I have to say, so I did have a look. And the people collected this and they cooked it and baked it into into cakes. But when we encounter Israel here in Numbers chapter 11, they've probably been eating manna for about a year and they are fed up with it. They're sick of it. In contrast to the wide variety of foods that they had in Egypt. And if you look at verse 5 of Numbers 11, and they recall the foods that they had at their disposal in Egypt. We remember the fish we ate in Egypt at no cost, also the cucumbers, melons, leeks, onions, and garlic. And now all we have to eat is this manna. Now, this is just the backdrop, just the backstory, the context 
to what I want to speak about, but just to pick up on the point that, uh, that uh, Trevor alluded to uh, a couple of times uh, this morning already. Uh, just a little aside, and that's something to do with the selective memory of Israel, because when we look into Exodus, we read about the fact that in Egypt, uh, Israel groaned under the burden of the dictatorship of, of their Egyptian masters. And words such as they were ruthlessly exploited when they were in Egypt. And yet, here they are reflecting on how good the times were in Egypt. And there is something there, isn't there, about our selective memory uh, and how we tend to focus, as Israel has done here, on what they don't have rather than what they do have. And so that's maybe just, I'm not going to go into that in any more depth. I leave that thought with you but just something for you to reflect on this morning, the extent to which you and I have a selective memory when it comes to how good God has been to us and then focusing on the things perhaps that we don't have. But there's this grumbling in the camp. But it's not just grumbling. The word that's used here is wailing. The people are wailing. We read that in verse four. And then in verse 10, we read, and every family began to wail at Moses' tent. Now, when I read this, I have to say, it brought me back to two o'clock in the morning about 23 years ago when my now 23-year-old daughter was about six months old and that wailing and wailing and wailing and the nudging of, or no, well, not the nudging, the if I just don't move, maybe my wife will get up first. <laughs> you know that moment? But the Israelites, they wailed at Moses' tent. And they wailed, and they wailed, and they wailed. And then Moses snaps. And then we read what comes next. And what comes next is in verses 11 to 15. And Moses, and I'm going to use the word, confronts God. In fact, probably better words would be to say, Moses lashes out at God. Look at verse 11. He asked the Lord, why have you brought this trouble on your servant? What have I done to displease you, that you put this burden of all these people on me? Did I conceive all these people? Did I give them birth? Why do you tell me to carry uh, this burden? And so on and so forth. It's actually quite shocking. It's a little bit, it's like one of those rows. You're going around the supermarket with your trolley and you come across a family and they're having a bit of a row. And you're going, this is getting very heated. And you steer your trolley carefully off in the other direction. This is really heated. Moses is really lashing out. I want you to note two things here. Firstly, and I think importantly, I want you to note how Moses speaks to God. I know what words you might attach to it or what adjectives you might attach to it. Let me attach some of mine, but you may have others. It's raw. It's emotional. It's honest. 
It's actually flawed because he accuses God of things that God never intended or did. So it's flawed. Moses is he's overwhelmed. He's weak. He's vulnerable. I wonder, does that sound familiar? And, and as I read this and as I read the tone of Moses' approach, I was actually reminded uh, of, a, of a book that I'd read many, many years ago. And in fact, it was the first chapter of that book. And some of you may have read it. Uh, Richard Foster's book on prayer. And the very first chapter of the book is called Simple Prayer. And I knew I was on the right track because I have not looked at this book in 20 years and I plucked it off the shelf and I flicked through it. Always keep your good books. I flicked through the, the chapter and funnily enough, I knew I was on the right track when in the middle of the chapter, Foster cites Moses' incident here as one of the examples of simple prayer. And I thought, ah, okay, I was on the right tracks. And the core thrust of what Richard Foster says in that chapter is that for many of us when we approach prayer, we feel we have to get it right. We feel that we have to have the right words to say. That we have to structure our prayer in the right way. That we have to examine our motives and make sure our motives um, are right. And there's nothing wrong with this. I've read many books on prayer. I was reading Pete Craig's book in the last six months on prayer. It's fantastic and it was brilliant and amazingly helpful. Jesus sat down and he taught his disciples how to structure prayer. So that's great and fantastic. But I think at times, and particularly times of pressure and stress, sometimes we can become so taken up with that that it paralyzes our ability to pray. And there are two quotes in that uh, chapter on simple prayer in Foster's book, which I think are marvelous. He quotes a guy called Dom Chapman who says, pray as you can, not as you can't. And he also quotes C.S. Lewis who says, lay before him what is in us, not what should be in us. And what Foster is, is saying is simply talk to God. In all of our imperfections, complete honesty. Don't let the need to, to get it all right and to examine your motives and to structure, don't let that stop you from simply coming to God and engaging with God and speaking to God and revealing to him what's in the depth of your heart. You know, and that includes bringing your imperfection. Because you know, God can handle a, a, a prayer that says, Lord, I'm going to pray now. I'm just going to talk to you. And you know what? I know this isn't perfect. I know I'm praying all about me and not about you and not about others. But this is just about all I can do right now. So I'm just going to tell you what's on my heart. And that's the idea of simple prayer. And maybe that's not a revolutionary thought to many of you this morning, but for some of you, maybe it's a liberating thought that when the struggle is at its most, it's heated, when you're under pressure, when you're, when you're full of anxiety and you really just can't find the words 
simply speak to God with what's on your heart and with the words that you can bring to bear. And the second point to note about this is that God can handle it. Look at God's response to Moses here. He listens, he understands, and he responds. So while it's shocking to us, God can handle it. So let me encourage you with that first thought this morning, which is very simply, be liberated in coming before God and simply opening up your heart to him. He can handle whatever way you need to come to him. He's just pleased that you come to him and that you tell him honestly and openly how you are feeling. Then Moses goes on, and we read in verses 18 to 20 that Moses then doubts God. So look at verses 18 to 20 with me. God says, Tell the people, consecrate yourselves in preparation for tomorrow when you will eat meat. The Lord heard you when you wailed. If only we had meat to eat, we were better off in Egypt. Now the Lord will give you meat and you will eat it. You'll not eat it for just one day or two days or five, ten or twenty days, but for a whole month. God doesn't tell Moses what he thinks he might do. God tells him what he will do. And it's dramatic. Moses' response in verses 21 and 22 is interesting. I'm not quite sure if this is a northernism. Forgive me if it is. But effectively, Moses turns around to God and he says, catch yourself on. He says, get real. I have 600,000 troops here. And all of their family, they're you know, reckoning it was maybe two million people. And you say you're going to feed them all for a month with meat. Catch yourself on. But look at God's response to Moses in verse 23. The Lord answered Moses and he said, is the Lord's arm too short? So God's response to Moses is, just watch me. And this phrase, is the Lord's arm too short? We, we, read a, we read this description in Deuteronomy 4 and verse 34, where the verse describes God's action in bringing Egypt or bringing Israel um, out of Egypt. So it's a very carefully chosen phrase where God is reminding Moses of his incomparable power and strength. But Moses just can't understand how God can fulfill his promise. He doesn't realize that God can meet our needs in unexpected and entirely unanticipated ways because his resources are beyond our understanding and comprehension. And there's a subtlety here I think I want to address. I think it's a key thing. Because if I'm honest, I don't think that I openly challenge God when I look at situations and settings and circumstances in my own life. I don't say, God, you can't do that. That's beyond you. I think what I do is I simply kind of park God 
I don't really invite him into the situation. I don't really invite him into the setting. Not consciously, almost subconsciously, because this is the real world. This is like Moses turning to God and said, have you seen how many people I have here? Get real. And I wonder what circumstances in your life and in my life are we effectively putting beyond the reach of God? Family, friendships, work settings, challenges. Are there circumstances in your life where almost subconsciously you don't expect God to make a difference? We kind of compartmentalize our lives. That's the danger. Here's my faith, you know, my prayer time, my quiet time, my, my house group, my church life. But is that going to invade the reality of the everyday challenges of my life as well? So Moses doubts God. And I think so often we doubt him as well. But as we get to the conclusion, Moses gets to witness the power of God at work. God responds to Moses in two ways. Firstly, and I said an awful lot of the chapter deals with effectively leadership. We could have a whole other sermon uh, on how this chapter addresses challenges of leadership, of distributed leadership, of working in teams, of delegating to other people, and so on and so forth. Um, and one of the first responses uh, of God to Moses is to provide him with support, to provide him with a leadership team, uh, to shore up that sense of vulnerability and isolation and loneliness um, that he feels. So he provides him with a leadership team and a leadership support around him. And then secondly, God delivers on his promise to provide meat to eat for the entire camp for a month. You know, and there's a couple of things I think that we learn about how God meets our needs and answers our prayers. My first reflection here is that it is often inconceivable in its conception. Let me put that in plain English. I often say to people I'm working with, if I have to explain what I've just said, I should have said it more clearly. What I mean is we just can't even conceive of the ways that God can answer our prayers. How many times in your life have things happened and unfolded and you thought, my goodness, I never expected it to turn out that way. I never expected God to answer prayer in that way. God meets our needs in completely unexpected ways. Here, God sent a wind. He exercised his omnipotent creator power and sent a wind that blew quail all the way into the desert to where, from the sea all the way into the desert, desert where Israel was. We will be amazed at God's intervention in our lives. How God answers prayer is for us often inconceivable in its conception. And it's also spectacular in its execution. Trevor alluded to it. The birds were brought down out. Different, there are different interpretations of this. Some interpretations are that 
the birds were brought down to three feet above the ground so they could be kind of captured. Others talk about the birds being on the ground to three feet deep. Imagine quail stacked three feet deep and it says a day's walk from camp. I googled, how far can you walk in the desert in a day? I reckon you'd be probably pushed to do 20 miles unless it was David Eakins. <laughs> 20 miles. So imagine walking from the center of the camp 20 miles out, three feet deep with birds. It says, no one gathered less than 10 homers, which when I looked at it again, was no less than 1,900 birds per family. God meets needs, answers prayer massively beyond our expectation. Uh, another verse that's kind of been coming back into my mind so many times in recent weeks in, in, in many different ways. You know, ask and it will be given you. Seek and you will find. Knock and the door will be opened. You don't have because you don't ask. God responds to Moses, first with the provision of the leadership team, and then secondly, in a way that is inconceivable and spectacular. And that is the way that God can answer prayer in our lives as well. So as we conclude, I just want to tie those two things together. I want to encourage you not to... I, don't get me wrong. Again, I emphasize learning about prayer, how to structure prayer, emotion, our, our motives in prayer, all good. But don't let that become a barrier to simply coming to God and opening up your heart and telling him what your struggles are and telling him how you're feeling and being completely raw and completely honest before him. A prayer that says, Lord, I can't say it any other way than this. Bye is good enough for him. He can hear it and he can handle it. So let me encourage you to use whatever words you can to come before God and to bring to him those everyday challenges of our lives that are already beginning to play in our minds as we look into this new season ahead. And then I also want you to trust him to stagger you with how he responds. He didn't ask Moses to understand how he would answer his request and his prayer. He just wanted him to have faith that he would. So I'm going to invite us, I hope, I can't quite smell the burgers yet. But I'm going to invite us just to respond to that for a few moments. So if you'd like to bow your head. I want you to maybe bring to mind what, what it is in your life at the moment, a situation, a relationship, a circumstance, a setting, a challenge that may be causing you anxiety, stress, pressure, and it just seems impossible 
So I want to encourage you in the next few moments just to bring that before God and I don't want you to worry about how you craft the sentence. I just want you to say it to God. Just tell him what's on your heart and I want you to invite him to do the impossible, to surprise you, amaze you, and stagger you with how he can work in that situation and how he can meet that need that is in your heart this morning. Let's take a minute or two just to give us some time and space to think about that and to reflect on that and to bring that before the Lord. Father, we come into your presence this morning and we just, Father, I pray that you will hear, and I know you will hear, those things that each one of us has brought before you in the last couple of minutes. Father, thank you that as you've shown us in this chapter, you are omnipotent. All things are possible. You meet us in the depth of our need. You hear the cry of our heart. While no one else may do, you know the depths of our heart. You know how we're feeling. You know the doubts, the anxiety, the fears, the stress. Father, thank you that you see all of that and you know all of that and that you are big enough to handle how we bring that to you. We ask, Lord, forgive us for our imperfections, forgive us for our flaws. Thank you for your grace that does that. Thank you that you don't ask us to come perfectly before you. You ask us simply to come before you. And Father, we trust you that you can make a difference in all of those situations and settings in our lives where it just seems beyond help. Father, thank you that you are a God that we can approach. Thank you that you are a compassionate and loving God who knows our heart and responds to it. Thank you that you are a gracious 
and generous God who blesses us in amazing ways to meet the needs of our hearts. So Father, we commit these thoughts to you this morning. We pray that they will stay with us as we go out of this building and we'll do our hearts good right throughout this week and beyond. In the name of Jesus, amen.